All right. So welcome to the Open Source Startup Podcast. I'm Robbie from Cowboy Ventures, one of your co-hosts, and I'm joined by Tim of Essence VC, my other co-host. And today we are super excited to talk to Paul, who's the founder and CEO of Supabase, which is the open source Firebase alternative. And so we're super, super excited to get into why you started the company and some of the key learnings he's had along the way. So welcome, Paul. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, actually, I've got a question for you. Why, why is it called Cowboy VC? <laughs> you, you probably, you, maybe you've answered that a million times on this podcast. But. I've actually never answered that on this podcast, but it's actually oh, really? uh, okay. named after Aileen, the founder's son, okay. who's named Cowboy. And that was also a placeholder name. And Cowboy was also meant to be a placeholder name. But we just realized that what we wanted Cowboy to represent, like doing a lot with a little, striking out on your own, going into new territories, aligned okay. with the name. So if, we kept it. If there's one thing that I've learned, a temporary name always sticks <laughs> like same same with Superbase. that was just like a placeholder name we we're like oh let's just keep it for a bit while we figure out what the name's gonna be and then now it's just uh, yeah there's no leaving Superbase behind <laughs> <laughs> i love it on that note maybe tell us where Superbase idea even came from like how did it even all start so first of all, maybe for those listening in, Superbase is an open source Firebase alternative and we're building the features of Firebase, but we're using existing open source tools. Actually, really what we are is a Postgres company. So we host Postgres databases. Typically when you say an open source company, people think, well, you have to self-host, but we have a platform, you sign up, you get a Postgres database, and then you get all the tooling around the Postgres database to make it very easy to use. And that's kind of where the positioning of the Firebase alternative comes from. So we just make it very easy to get started with your project. Automatic APIs, we've got authentication, we've got file storage, we've got edge functions, a bunch of things that we can dig into if you want. But yeah, originally the company started because in my previous startup, we were using Firebase for one part of the stack, the messaging, and we hit some scaling limits with one of the things that we were doing. So we had to migrate that part of the product over to the existing tech stack, which was our Postgres database. But Postgres doesn't have real time. So you, in Firebase, you've got this very cool database feature where you can listen to any change in the database using WebSockets and blast it out to thousands of people. And uh, we didn't have that in Postgres. So I ended up writing this kind of Elixir server to listen to changes in a Postgres database. And then I open sourced it, put it on GitHub and put it on Hacker News and it started gaining some traction. And at that point, I knew I wanted to do a dev tools business around Postgres. So I reached out to my current co-founder and uh, he was also running his company. So I convinced him that he should leave that one and, and uh, <laughs> join me. And that was around January 2020 when we started. And so, yeah, we've grown the company now sort of fully remote and all throughout when COVID was kicking off and yeah, that's kind of been our life cycle, just building from scratch, yeah, a remote company. Awesome. So I'd love to really go back a little bit and talk about this moment of we posted it, we released it, we posted on Hacker News, and it just started to grow. Like, did you expect that to happen? Or what did you kind of do to like fan the flame and really just like get the most out of like, oh, wait, this is really resonating with people. How do we get the most out of this? Yeah, no. So at the time, I didn't think, well, at the time, actually, it got maybe like I don't know, a couple of hundred stars on GitHub. And for me, that was a huge deal. Like I <laughs> I don't think I'd ever sort of got something that had immediate interest. So that was good. But I knew that it wasn't really like a, a company or anything like that. So we knew that we needed more than just that one tool. And actually, when we started, we were kind of, we positioned the company as like real-time Postgres. 
And what happened was like, we were going out and chatting to people and a lot of people were like, well, I trust you to host my database. And actually we, we went to a company and my co-founder and I both worked for this company as a contracting company. So we had their sort of database credentials. It was a, a startup. So we went and interviewed one of the developers. And then right after we interviewed him, we said, well, why don't you just try it out? We've already set it up, connected it to your database. You can sort of get started. So it was kind of like the, you know, the situation where you can visit people and, and get them started immediately. And after that, he didn't use it at all. So <laughs> we knew that there was something kind of missing from the product. So we spent some time yeah, chatting to people about like what database they were using and why they were using it. And universally, people loved Postgres. But then when we asked them, well, what are you using? They would just say Firebase. So that's kind of where the positioning came. And we changed on one day the tagline from real-time Postgres to the open source Firebase alternative. And that day, someone put it on Hacker News and it stayed on the front page for like two days or something like that. So we knew that positioning was just very good. Something about the way we had done it kind of worked. And that was kind of the point where we really started getting traction. We went from something like eight databases to 800 in the space of two days. We ran out of DigitalOcean credits immediately, had to migrate all 800 databases to AWS while we were in YC. So yeah, it was a pretty chaotic time. But yeah, a lot of trying to find the perfect fit. It wasn't just immediate. Yeah, I was reading your alpha launch post-mortem. You touched on like migrating 1,800 servers. And that is usually a good sign, right? You have a lot of interest from your users. So tell us maybe about your first alpha launch, because I think everybody has different ways to launch your projects and products. And I think Superbase actually has a pretty interesting way of launching and continuously launching, actually, the monthly posts the launch weeks. And I guess let's just go down to that path. Like, where do you got the idea how to launch projects? And what is the philosophy you guys have of launching these? It's kind of like many things, I guess. So at the start, what we would do, even when there was no audience, like we'd kind of build for a month and then we'd do a GitHub release, we'd do a blog post, we'd put it on Dev2, we'd put it on Reddit, Hack News, everything. So we'd just spread it out. And what we would do is like, we'd spend one month building and then spend those few days kind of promoting it online. And then we'll get back to building after we've chatted and everything. So that was kind of the cycle, like these monthly cycles. Then what happened during YC was we had that really successful launch and everyone was writing in the comments, well, it's not really a Firebase alternative because it doesn't have auth. And literally, if you go through the comments, almost everyone was saying that. So we knew what we had to build. And throughout YC, when you're supposed to be talking to your customers. We already had this feedback. So we spent the whole time trying to ship all. So we had like 100 days. And uh, every week we would meet Michael Seibel and he would say, well, you told me that you're going to ship all last week. Am I allowed to swear on this one? Because he's very vulgar. <laughs> he's like, Paul, every week you tell me this, when the fuck are you going to ship all? So <laughs> we had this pressure to ship this all like before demo day or like immediately, basically. He was really putting the pressure on. And this is a YC mentality, which works for us. Like you just ship even if it's not sort of ready. You know, that deadline of demo day was awesome for us. So we shipped it two weeks before. We did another sort of launch and everyone, of course, loved it. They were like, we said that you, we wanted all congrats on shipping it. But now where is the file storage? So then, then they asked for the next thing. But because of this like 100 day cycle, like the timeline was awesome for product planning, like the team was super motivated by it. And so what we said after YC was, 
well, let's just pretend like we're in YC again for our next launch. We'll just set this arbitrary timeline, you know, in the future, three months ahead. And no matter what, we'll ship something. I think at the time it was moving from alpha to beta and anything that we had shipped, we'll just announce that we've moved from alpha to beta. And so we did that and we just worked towards the timeline. And once again, the reception was kind of huge and we went away like kind of on a buzz. There were only, I think, 10 of us in, in the company at that stage. And um, we're like, we've done this. How do we do it even bigger? And so I said, well, we could Cloudflare do these launch weeks. Do you think we could launch one thing every day for a week? And we were thinking, oh, well, that's ridiculous. But if we did, you know, here's all the features that would ship. And we kind of came out with eight features that we could try and ship in three months. And uh, yeah, then we got out five of those eight features. And so we literally did like one new feature every day for a week on the next one. Each time we did these launch weeks, the kind of slope of the growth curve, just the incline goes sharper and sharper. So they were just working and that became our sort of marketing strategy. We don't pay for marketing or anything. It just became, well, let's see what the customers want, ship what they want and uh, tell them that we've shipped what they wanted. And it turns out that that's not a bad way to uh, market your business. And I'd love to go a little bit deeper on your process for doing that, because I'm sure just from a signal perspective, you're getting requests for new features all the time. And because of where you sit, there's just so much you could build. So how did you actually score what was most important to build in what order? So because of our positioning, there were some quite obvious things that we need to get for feature parity. Now, we are definitely not going to do all the things that Firebase do. They've got a bunch of you know, AI tools and things like that that are less interesting from our product point of view. But there are some things that we already knew. And so we could put them out to the community on GitHub and then they can vote on sort of what they like in our GitHub discussions. Then a lot of it's kind of just, I comb through all the feedback. I try to read Twitter, I read Hack News, I read everything, and so does my co-founder. So we've got good tabs on what the community wants anecdotally. There's nothing too strict about gathering the feedback. You can kind of tell what most people are asking for. And then we've just got like a bunch of feeds inside our Slack channel where like people can ask for things inside our dashboard. We've got a little feedback widget. They can literally say, oh, you know, this is broken or it'd be cool if you change this page so I can do this or, or that. And, you know, we just have this kind of fire hose of feedback coming. There's one thing about developers is they will not shy away from telling you what they want. <laughs> and uh, so our job is basically to filter that through, figure out what is the real need behind it, prioritize how important it is and how it fits into the overall strategy of the company. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Nothing too formal. That's awesome. Actually, let's go maybe even more into the evolution of the product because you started with a real-time basically replacing Postgres Notify, right? Like actually giving a way to have a more scalable way to do real-time changes. And then suddenly you start releasing authentication for users. Yeah. It's not just about database changes anymore, right? There's like a, this Firebase, larger alternative for Firebase. How did a jump happen, right? Why do you actually decide that's actually what we want to do instead? Because you can actually do more other types of notifications. You can go into queuing maybe. Or there's actually many directions. I'm actually curious why Firebase? So the authentication, it was actually quite a logical step-by-step -step process. What we actually had was the Postgres database. Then we had the real-time listener. Then also we had this tool, Postgres, which is quite a popular open source tool. And what it does is 
it auto generates an API on top of your Postgres database by introspecting the database. I'm guessing on this podcast, most people will be technical, but I can go deeper if you want. But basically, yeah, it, it's this very cool tool written in Haskell and it was popular long before Superbase came along. So basically through YC or in my previous company, I used Postgres and fell in love with it. It's a great tool. And I wrote a blog post about it. And this guy, Steve, who works on Postgres, found the blog post and he put a link in the Postgres docs to my blog post for my previous company. And so I just reached out to him at one point just to say thank you. So I had his email. Then when we got into YC, I sort of just emailed him as like, oh, you know, we're kind of building this company. We're using Postgres a lot. Just wanted to let you know, we generally just say thanks if we're using an open source tool and let us know if we can support you somehow. And turns out Steve was sort of the maintainer of it at that point. The original maintainer had handed it off to him. And he said, well, you know, actually, I'm looking for a job. (laughs) So it was quite cool. We just employed him to work on Postgres. And this was like our first way of really giving back to open source. And then, you know, because we've got this API that we were using, well, it's unsafe. So the authors actually, a very logical conclusion, you need all of our users needed to set up their own auth system to use the APIs in a very safe way. And we needed row-level security, working Postgres row-level security. And that's a little bit difficult even for technical founders who haven't used row-level security. So we decided, well, let's do that. And we have built the system that Postgres recommended and we just made it sort of turn on, turn off. um, So very easy for our users. And that's kind of how it's been each time. Like there's some obvious holes in the product itself and the business. And when people ask for it, we try to prioritize what is the biggest hole or like the next feature. And yeah, that's kind of how we chose at that point what to build next. We're getting to a point now where we've kind of got feature parity with most products that we need. And now it's more like, well, what are the nice features? What else should we add, if anything? Yeah. Awesome. And you mentioned YC, and I kind of wanted to go through your decision-making process for going through... YC and like at what point in like open source traction you said, okay, like now I think there's something here and I want to now apply to YC. Like how did that kind of thought process go through? And how do you also think open source companies can benefit versus other companies specifically through YC? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So at what point did we decide that we should apply for YC? I literally pitched my co-founder the way I convinced him to join Superbase was I said, we're going to assemble the most YC-friendly team. So good that they just cannot say no. They'll see the team at least and they'll let us in. The reason I knew they would work for him is he had applied for YC like five times and been rejected. So yeah, I have plans to get him and another guy. And actually when he joined, I thought, oh, you know, I'm pretty sure we can get into YC. And so it was kind of a dream of both of us to join YC anyway. So there was no doubt, literally even on the first angel checks, I was saying, you know, we're going to raise this money, then we're going to join YC, then we're going to do this. So um, (laughs) I'm happy we did because I was like making a lot of promises at the time. But, um, you know, if we hadn't gotten, no worries, like we would have just kept building the business as it was. But it seemed important to us at the time because if you think about our product, it's very useful when you're getting started with the company. So it's it's more like, oh, you know, i am got this new business use case and what am I going to use to build it? And this is the thing about databases. If you're building a database company, it's very hard to get people to migrate from one database to another or even 
on the same database from one platform to another. So Firebase do this very well. They get an adoption. I think it's really one of the easiest databases to use. And so they've got incredible adoption from the start. The only thing that they do wrong is that many people have to migrate away because it becomes a bit unusable for various reasons. It could be pricing or it could be the NoSQL sort of model and things like that. So people usually migrate to something like Postgres. So we thought, well, let's do it that way. We know that to build a database company, the best way to do it is get in at the start and build up from there. Then we thought, well, how do we access a huge pool of startups? <laughs> and YC is a huge pool of startups. It's, it's massive network now. And we've got this sort of YC deal. And um, we've got a lot of YC companies joining us. I think we're the most popular dev tool in YC. So it just became sort of a, another strategy of ours to increase our growth. And also, you know, the badge itself, by putting YC on the company, it kind of validates for a lot of developers that we're a legitimate company. You mentioned that so Superbase is a SQL database and Firebase is not. And so with our positioning being specifically the open source Firebase alternative, is that confusing to folks? And like, how come you didn't have yeah. that as part of the main tagline? <laughs> the open source relational Firebase alternative. We could have done that. Yeah, it is very confusing to people. And we actually sort of were planning to drop the open source Firebase alternative a lot earlier. I also think it's not very fair on Firebase that we sort of counter position against them. But it's working. Like it really gets the idea across very easily. And then people will discover, oh, it's Postgres under the hood. And, you know, that could seem scary to a lot of our users. But then they get in, they click around. We've got this UI where they can use a kind of like Airtable and they discover, oh, it's not that hard to use Postgres. And then they start discovering the depths of Postgres itself and how functional it is. So then they sort of fall in love with the product. And when they fall in love with Superbase, they're kind of just falling in love with Postgres, which is what we like about it. So um, yeah, it can be confusing, but we try our best to, to make it easy, even if you don't know how to use Postgres. Yeah, to be honest, when I saw that tagline, I thought you guys were actually helping people build just generic backends. People that use Firebase for, or you know, and all the things Firebase does, your open source version of them. But not actually look deeper, it's different. It's actually a bit different. So that's why I thought that actually threw me off a little bit. I'm curious where you're going because you know when you talked about like, hey, we're recovering notifications, we're building authentication because we need to. Here comes edge functions, and here comes file storages to serve media files, right? And it doesn't seem that logical, at least to me, from the outside. Unless you've seen your customers really going for very particular use cases or very particular mm -hmm. kinds of ways using Superbase, like what have you observed from your customer base or your demands that leads you to this path of now doing more files and, and functions, compute? For sure. Yeah, all of them have a logical sort of reason. So uh, like files, we're having people dump literally entire web pages into their database and then <laughs> fetch them out and things like that. But okay, so ultimately, so stepping right back, the ultimate goal is to become the world's most productive developer platform. So you as a developer, you're going to start a new business, but you spend a bunch of time focusing on the tools and what tech I should use and everything. And none of this is directly going to contribute to your product. And so we want to provide all the primitives that you need to build a business. That's ultimately the goal. So we start with the hardest thing, which is the database. And, you know, you've got to do a bunch of really technical stuff there. And now we're sort of working our way up from the database and making sure that everything we provide just makes it easier for you to build your product rather than 
build the technology around your product. Awesome. So why don't we talk a bit about monetization and kind of your views on the right time to start focusing more on that versus a community. And also if you kind of talk to anybody else or referenced other companies' models to really think about like timing and signals and like knowing the right way to approach that. Yeah. Okay. Pricing is one of the hardest things, honestly, even, well, probably especially for a open source company, because there's always, first of all, an implicit expectation that you should be free <laughs> with open source. Like, so um, you've got to work within that model so much so that if you get too, too purist, people think, well, open source should not be like, shouldn't have to pay for it at all, which of course is unsustainable. And I think is a bit of a toxic mindset for the open source community in general. But um, then from there, all right, so you know you need to price. If you think about open source, there are so many ways to price. You can do support. You can do gated features. You can do open core. You can do sponsorship. You can do all sorts of things. And this is one we really struggled with. And we chatted to a lot of people. We chatted to a lot of open source companies, chatted to GitLab, Sid at GitLab. We chatted to Agi at Kong. We chatted to, yeah, all the infrastructure companies that we could, and all of them had great advice and all of them had different advice. So <laughs> what you find is that the more people you talk to, the kind of less you really know. <laughs> you learn a lot and the more confused you get. Yeah, it became very hard for us. And what we knew then was that, well, we're not going to get our pricing right. So all we need to do is get some pricing, some version of our pricing out. And... Um, then it's going to change. It's inevitable. And you shouldn't think of your pricing like, oh, you put it out and it's done. You think of it like a product. You, here's V1 of pricing. Then we'll do V2 of pricing later on. And then V3, they'll all come along. And of course, you've got to sort of maintain backwards compatibility, same as any other feature. You've got to support the pricing model that you gave in the past. But um, yeah, you should be able to iterate on it. So when we decided that, we became a lot more comfortable. Luckily for Superbase, and I think... You can say this model for anyone who's an infrastructure open source tool. Your pricing model can be very clear. I would forget about any of the support models, just trim it right down to hosting and doing like a cloud version of your business if you're infrastructure. That seems to be the model that's working for anyone who is within this space. If you look at, for example, Mongo, I think their revenue numbers came out the other day and Atlas, their cloud-hosted version, I think is 60% of their revenue now and is growing very fast. So, you know, so much so that we don't bother. We only focus on our cloud-hosted model for pricing now and we don't do any, like, support for the open source packages or anything like that. We just focus on that model and that means that we can keep our team very lean. We can be focused on improving the product and, yeah, of course, then as well, we venture backed, which makes it a lot easier. We've got some time on our hands to find a really good pricing model and for our revenue to catch up with our infrastructure costs. So that was a long-winded way of saying that actually we still have no idea and we're iterating on it. <laughs> yeah, I feel like for a company even seven years old, you're still tuning pricing. That's what we learned from one of our podcasts. Yeah. Um, I actually want to talk about your works with Superbase. You have a partner gallery and that has agencies plus other companies and products that can work well with Superbase. That's probably something I haven't really seen that often. Maybe tell us about what your thought process around doing that and what is works with Superbase sort of label or sticker 
means and how much does that actually help the growth or the usage of Superbase? Just yeah, more about that would be helpful. Yeah, this one was quite cool. So Superbase is a little bit unique in the open source space. In my mind, I haven't seen too many that do this in that, you know, usually when you start an open source tool, you build from scratch and you, you know, have your own edge of the world that you're trying to build out. But actually, Superbase, like our goal is to try not rebuild anything, but to support existing tools as much as we can and to improve them. And so our success is everyone's success. Ultimately, it means that, you know, Postgres gets improved, Postgres gets improved. Our all server is one built by Netlify and that gets improved. And so this collaborative way of doing open source is philosophically how Ant and I think about open source in general. Then what happened was, you know, I said we did these launch weeks. On our first launch week, we kind of did this. The first day was like community day where we'd shine a spotlight on the tools that we used. And then also there are a bunch of people in the community who have built stuff with Superbase or integrations. And we thought, oh, that's cool. We should, you know, give them a spotlight as well, help them out, just promote them a little bit. And then, you know, that worked very well, that community day. So we thought, well, let's just do that every launch week that we do. We'll always reserve Monday to, you know, shine a spotlight on the community and the tools. And so the works with Superbase evolved out of that where, you know, we just wanted a place for people to go and look and see where they could find integrations with Superbase. And it's very easy, of course, to build an integration with Superbase because it's just Postgres. So a lot of tools already work with Postgres. And as a result, they work with Superbase. And so it's really just a platform for us to promote other open source communities. We try to prioritize open source communities, especially. And you guys have an awesome write-up about your launch weeks. Where did the idea come from initially? Or was it kind of like you were trialing a bunch of things and then this seemed to stick? Yeah, it was from that sort of that YC demo day push where we had 90 days. And then, you know, we were trying to emulate within our own company this like hard deadline of the demo day. And really, it was like one part promotional that we wanted to say, oh, you know, we'll promote everything that we ship and sort of two parts product planning. So during YC, you have this like intense period of shipping and uh, everyone's very motivated. And then, you know, after you get out of YC, you see a lot of companies kind of slow down and they lose that drive. So we were thinking, well, how do we maintain that drive? And um, there's this, I guess, two ways of planning projects. You either have like something fixed, like the features that you want to ship, and then you never know what date it's going to get shipped. So the date always blows out. Or you can set a deadline. You say, so here's a deadline and let's see what we can ship within that deadline, but no pressure. And so we gravitated towards this fixed timeline variable scope. It doesn't matter what comes in and what drops out. We'll just like on this deadline do this promotional exercise. So the launch week came from that sort of mentality. And yeah, it's just very good for our planning. So right now, you know, we're growing to a point where we're kind of dividing into teams. And then I just say to the teams, we said recently, like, you tell us what you think you're going to ship each month for the next couple of months. And then we'll probably do a launch week in, in August. And so I know roughly the things that might get into launch week. And we'll kind of try to build a narrative around the whole week. Maybe it can be like V2, like everything's moving to V2. Or it can be like a move out of alpha into beta, these sort of things. So the week feels a bit more cohesive, but really as the teams are off planning themselves now and, and shipping as much as they can. And I think 
maybe talk a little about like the evolution of laundry because I'm looking at a bunch of posts and it definitely seems like there is, it's not just a way to say what we launched, right? There's actually a bunch of other materials. Like you said, you're highlighting community. You're still talking about it. It's, it's a way to also share your personality also. I seem like there's like April Fool's Days, there's beers, and <laughs> yeah. all this kind of stuff involved. Like what is really the evolution of it and what you learned is it just for engagement for people to have more excited about every release somehow? Or what are the effects of the launch week that you really observed that's not as obvious when you just started the first time? So when we first did it, yeah, it was kind of just for that planning. But yeah, what <laughs> we're quite lighthearted, I guess, <laughs> at Superbase. Like there's a lot to build. So um, we know that it's going to take a long time and you know, we might as well have sort of a bit of fun along the way. So these launch weeks have ended up being kind of all the developers put down their sort of development hat and put on their marketing hat a little bit. And really, we're still shipping a lot during the launch week. There's a lot sort of <laughs> going into production on that week, which we're trying to make sure is not really the case of being better at planning. But, you know, like we have fun. So on the first one, I think we just had a bunch of memes and like we're using some memes to sort of indicate what it would be like releasing each week. And then the excitement kind of mounted from there, like no one would know what we're, what we're shipping. And so we'd always be dropping these hints as we evolved the launch week. We'd try to drop some hints on what we'd be shipping. And the first, I think it was the very first launch week, it happened to fall on April Fools just by chance. So we thought, oh, well, let's, also pretend like we're shipping. I think that first time it was an NFT platform and NFTs were pretty hyped at the time. And actually, Ant and myself had done, we had launched an NFT platform in like 2018. So we had done a bunch of hackathons together and stuff. So we had all this material and we just wrapped a blog post around it and it became like very confusing for people whether we're actually shipping NFTs or not. And so, yeah, I think really it's just been using that week to promote it however we can. Promote the features and in whatever method seems to be the most fun for people. So the one that you said, the beer. So this year was the first time the company has met in person. So we got the whole company together to Munich and Munich's famous for its beer, right? It's um, got very good quality beer. And um, right after the company got together was the launch week. So a, a few of us did kind of a hacker house where we all stayed in, in this one sort of German castle together and we were building for launch week all together. And that's where the brew idea came. We just had these beers and we were sort of sitting there thinking, oh, you know, it's going to be April Fool's. What should we do? So we slapped a bunch of stickers on uh, some of the German beer bottles and we took a bunch of photos like it was one of the things that we were shipping during the week. And then we wrote a blog post about it. And it's very much us just sitting there having a bit of fun thinking, well, what would be a, a great thing to pretend like we're shipping? And yeah, it's usually kind of last minute, not too planned, not too structured, just having fun. Yeah, that's just really awesome. And so maybe on, on the same note, because I, I remember I, I just asked you about like, what's the logical conclusions of your products? What I think actually was interesting because Edge Functions, and I saw you even launch multiplayer.dev, right? actually presence and actually broadcasting. It's very different than Firebase, right? It's not just following, I'm just launching apps with a backend, right? Now we have Edge, which truly I saw is launching in 30 data centers around the world, right? This is actually close to your latencies, to you, where users are. Do you see that from your customers who are really trying to build a lot of Edge 
applications on top of databases, and that's your main driver, and also real-time. Are these things prompted by the users, or is it prompted by some of your intuition of what you believe next applications are? I'm just curious, like, where does that come into your mind? Like, this is more important than maybe some other backend things you should do. So it's a bit of both. Quite often as a way to solve a inefficiency within the platform, like people might be misusing Superbase in some way. And if we see that commonly, then we'll build a product around it. For example, you know, I said the, the file storage was like people dumping a lot of stuff into their database and doing gigabytes of read. So let's say, for example, the multiplayer. So what we have actually is the real-time listener where you can listen to the database is actually built with uh, Elixir Phoenix, which is a great product, another awesome open source product. And it's already got built into it, this sort of thing where you can broadcast different messages like through it. And it's got presence and a bunch of collaborative sort of features where you can build collaborative products. So we know that those features exist and we didn't sort of expose them. But what was happening was that people were kind of building games with Superbase. And what they were doing is like sending all the mouse movements to their database and then their database would update and then all those mouse events would come out of the database. But you don't really need to store <laughs> a thousand mouse movements per second in a database. And in fact, it's a terrible idea to even send them to the database because it explodes the write-ahead log of one part of Postgres. And so it became a necessity. Like we had to then build this feature where people can, you know, send this ephemeral type events without destroying their database instance. And you know, it was already built into to Phoenix. So it's more like, well, we just need to expose the existing functionality. We don't really need to build too much. And so that's really kind of been the way that it works within Superbase. We know that people will see how their usage patterns are going. Probably their databases are failing. Why are they failing? They're doing this weird, obscure thing. Is it happening frequently? Then we'll look at the best way to solve it. And edge functions were very much like that. We had people who are very confused about how to write their functions inside their database because it's SQL base or PLV8. So first of all, it's not a very familiar technology. So we thought, oh, you know, well, all right, if people were having problems and we were to solve this problem, how would we solve it? And, you know, we have this theory of what the world will look like maybe in five years' time, which is a bit different from our current edge functions. But we assessed a bunch of technologies, WebAssembly on the edge and even running apps on the edge, long running apps and containerized like Flydo, these sort of things. In the end, for the developer experience, which is very important for us, we realized that, well, yeah, we need to go with this sort of isolates approach. And from there, it came down to, well, is it going to be Cloudflare or Dino? And then at the time, of course, Dino was the only open source runtime. So it became an obvious choice. We'll try support Dino as much as we can and we'll use Dino deploy. And so they're in 30 different regions around the world. They've done the hard work there. We're just leveraging Dino deploy. The nice thing since then, actually, Cloudflare have open sourced their workers runtime. And I like to think that we were one of the influences of that because, you know, we said this is a, a hard criteria. And I know when we were talking to them, they were saying, look, we're planning to do it. We can do it, you know, in a few months. It was just a few months too late for us. But it's nice to know that perhaps, yeah, we can start influencing the world to be a little bit more open source as well. Yeah, but we're very happy with Dino. And clearly now this sort of edge 
compute is becoming a lot more popular and a lot more important for technology. So everyone wants their data to be close to the users, wants the compute to be close to the users. So these are the things that you know we are planning to solve now in the next few years. Awesome. And it seems like a lot of open source companies go through these kind of two phases of early growth. Like first, it's just getting developers to start using the like open source tooling and product if there is one. And it doesn't really matter too much what companies are from. You're just trying to get usage. And then it quickly pivots to, okay, we want users who are going to eventually be able to pay for the product that we're going to put out. And I imagine being like a backend as a service company that resonates mostly as being like an SMB type product, but you have really strong customer logos. So what were some of the learnings on how to actually like target companies using the project that could eventually become paid users? And was there a strategy around that or did it just kind of happen naturally? Yeah, it just kind of happened. So we're very bottom up. We essentially want to solve problems for indie developers, first and foremost. They're the ones who have to build a product by themselves. There's a lot to do, right? So we essentially going to become a very productive developer platform immediately resonates with them. Then from there, you know, this bottom-up strategy is becoming very popular anyhow, uh, especially for dev tools. You essentially use product-led growth. So you can see how people uh, are using the platform, see that their usage is increasing. Then we can reach out to them to support them, find out, you know, what they're building and chat to them about what are their product needs. And from there, we can kind of grow the platform and grow their usage. But basically by solving their needs, this is contrary to a typical sales cycle, which will be sort of you go forward and you say, well, here's all our features. Would you use us? And you try to convince people to migrate from one tool to another versus one which is very much like, well, what are your problems? We can see that you're using it in this way. Did you know we can also do this? Does that help? So that's been our strategy from day one. Just focus on the individual developer and grow up market from there. Also quite useful for us because it's very hard to, and I think for most open source startups, to be honest, like it's very hard to convince enterprises from day one that you're trustworthy, you kind of need time in the market. So we're, you know, focusing on, on easier adoption first, and that gives us time to build up our credibility. People can trust Superbase now, so we're starting to see a lot more enterprise usage. It's really amazing to see the growth of Superbase right since the YC days and now two rounds of funding, or well, probably two more than that, but you know, two rounds of fundings and all of the successes. What is some of the biggest challenges you have to learn as a founder along this way and some advices you have for other open source founders that you think are really important to learn along the way would be great as well. I don't know if I <laughs> necessarily am in the best position to give advice to anyone. I really, I think it, it kind of depends on your I guess, product and, and position. I think like the general advice is just startups are hard and they're going to be a long journey and just be okay with that. Don't stress out about anything. And it's, it's just grinding. For us, at least, it feels like this way. And for the startups that I've had in the past, a lot of it is just grinding out as much as you can. Startups might seem sexy from the outside, but it's a lot of schlep, right? You've just got to turn up each day for 10 years and just really do the hard work. And the more that you kind of come to terms with that, the better the company performs, it seems. And you definitely get lucky. Uh, I would like to say, you know, everything, our growth and our success at Superbase is, you know, due to everything that we did. But to be honest, it was just as well, like a lot of luck, right? So the timing of the market, 
there's now like a big trend towards relational databases. There's a big trend towards open source of fields. And we also got lucky with, we started 2020 and that's when COVID started. So we had a fully remote team and that's kind of how we wanted to build it. We also got lucky during that time with the funding cycles. 2020, 2021 was just completely irrational in terms of VC funding. I'm sure you guys know this. So like we rode the waves there and now it's getting a lot harder. And so, you know, our timing for our last round was just right on the cusp of that and really lucky. So it's hard to give advice without first pointing out that, you know, you're just going to get really lucky in some cases. And if you do get that lucky break, then, you know, we tell everyone in our company, this is pretty rare that we get it. Let's just make it work. Let's work as hard as we can. We've got this rare opportunity. And from here, we'll try to capitalize on it. Awesome. Well, this was fantastic. We're so happy that we were able to have you on the podcast and there are a ton of awesome learnings on here. So thank you, Paul. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks, Tim.